Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Welcome to Polygamy, What Love Is This? I'm your host, Doris Hansen. And when we ask the question, what love is this? We are referring to the fact that God is love. And we wonder what kind of love is it that commands the abusive practice of polygamy where love is totally absent uh, from most of the marriages and women and children are denied most of their basic human rights. Before we get started, we'd like you to know that we do help people leave polygamy and we help them discover that God has never been angry at anyone for leaving polygamy and for getting away. You can call our toll-free number 4877-425-9993 for a private and confidential discussion of your situation and how we can help you. Go to our website, shieldandrefuge.org, for more information about our ministry. And you can contact us about any of our shows or if you'd like to be a guest on our show by emailing us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Also, audio uh, versions of our program are available to download. Just go to our website main page for information or go to soundcloud.com slash whatloveisthis for instructions. Also, our show is also available on iTunes podcast. We have a very special guest today. She's the daughter of the infamous polygamist leader, Ervil LeBaron. She grew up in a polygamous family with over 50 children, and her father had 13 wives. She's written a book about her life, how she got away from the polygamy environment, and how she has been healed from the trauma that she suffered. We are grateful to have as our very special guest, Anna LeBaron. Thank you, Anna. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Doris. It's an honor to be here. And it's an honor to have you here and to tell your story. It's so important mm -hmm. for, for, for us to get our stories out to people, not only those who are still in groups, but those who have left and, and those who wonder, well, what's all the hullabaloo about mm -hmm. anyway? So, right. <laughs> so your book is about your life uh, born and raised in the LeBaron group. What's the mm -hmm. name of your book and where can people buy a copy? It's called The Polygamous Daughter and it's available at bookstores everywhere and online as well at your favorite book bookseller or retailer online like amazon.com and barnes and noble and target.com walmart.com mm -hmm. several different retailers books a million are all selling it oh good that's great and do you have a website where people can go and find out more about you and your book yes annalabaron.com okay and they can interact there in a certain special way i understand yes, they can email me i'm also on social media on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, Anna K. LeBaron. Okay, great. So explain why you wrote the book and why now? Well, I, want, I knew for a long time that I wanted to share my story. It, so I've known for decades that this is what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. However, I needed to go through the healing process um, before I could tell the story without being re-traumatized yes. in the telling of it. Yes. So I've been on a decades-long healing journey. Mm -hmm. It takes a long time. Mm -hmm. And not only in the writing of the book, but it, times like this, when you re-talk it over and over again with interviews and, and right. people. So you've got to be healed from it. I yes. understand that, too. 
our show encourages uh, people who are currently in polygamy groups or those who have left to check out everything they've ever been taught. Mm -hmm. How does your book help them discover the truth about forced religious polygamy? Well, I, I don't go into the doctrine so much because a lot of that has been covered in many of the books that have been written about my family already. Mm -hmm. My story is told from the perspective of a child born into and raised in that environment mm -hmm. and the abuses that we endured and the things that um, happened to us from the viewpoint of a child. Mm -hmm. I am the first child of Irvil Baron to tell their story. Wow. And so I believe that anyone who's curious about what that was like um, would benefit from reading it. Mm -hmm. And um, I do go into the healing part of my journey towards the end mm -hmm. and share with the reader the yeah. process that I went through. And That's quite a process. Just part of it. Yeah. it I couldn't tell decades of stories, <laughs> no, <laughs> but I shared enough shared to give enough people an idea of what that healing process was like for me. And, and how has the response to your book been from family members or from people that you know or for the public? How has the response been? It's been very, very well received and um, people have read it and reviewed it online. So on Amazon or Goodreads, mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. can go and see what people have said about it. Mm -hmm. There has been some negative feedback, but we expected that. Of course. And so of course. Um, we're just, um, I'm happy with the response that I've received. My family has been very supportive. I would say most, 90% mm -hmm. mm -hmm. of my family has been very supportive of me being able to tell my story and um, a lot of them, um, because there have been so many books written about Ervil and his family, mm -hmm. it's, um, it's been a, a process where each time another book comes out, you know, people have to kind of wonder how much you're going to tell. Or I mean, it is a little bit nerve wracking. Yeah. You wonder, what, you know, who's saying what about who and, you know, did they get the story straight and, mm -hmm. you know. And from your perspective, you know, you have a perspective no one else has too. Correct. So that's, in the prologue of your book, you wrote that the typical marriage age was 15 years old mm -hmm. and that uh, you and your sisters were pawns to mm -hmm. be auctioned off to the highest bidder. Oh, yeah. uh, would that have been just in Ervil's family or was that in the entire LeBaron group? The marriageable age in, the, in within the LeBaron uh, groups that, that, and then one thing I will say is I was very young, uh -huh. and so I was never married off because I escaped when I was young at yeah. 13. Mm -hmm. However, anyone that you I- would have been. I would have been. And, mm -hmm. and as soon as a girl turned 14, 15 years old, that's when they talk began about who you would be married to yeah. eventually. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then you, normally girls did not make it to age 18 without having been given to a married. man in marriage. I know Susan Schmidt was married to Verlin and you know who she is mm -hmm. and she was married just after she turned 15 if I recall. Right. The correct thing. Most of, of what you wrote resonated with me because I, you know, was born in the Kingston group, raised mm -hmm. in the Kingston group, and it resonated with me not not because our lives were the same, but because the doctrine was the same, mm -hmm. that the atmosphere is the mm -hmm. same, uh, the same fears and the guilt trips mm -hmm. and <laughs> and the silence and the same kingdom of God. Of course, right. we were the only kingdom of God. You guys right. weren't. We weren't the right ones, right? <laughs> You said no one was allowed to question your father's authority. Oh, no. I understand that. But like the others, you obeyed. In fact, you mm -hmm. said that even though this life made your stomach ache, you never said a word. Mm -hmm. what, what made your stomach ache? What fears specifically made your stomach ache? 
Well, as you know, when my father began um, doing following the practice of blood atonement, which his own brother was the first one that mm -hmm. he had blood atoned, I was just three years old when that happened. Mm. And so our family and our group and the Liber, you know, the herbal LeBaron faction was all of a sudden very fearful and afraid of the authorities. I mean, they were always afraid of the authorities because they were practicing right, polygamy. Right. This brought on a whole different level of fear. Yeah. And it was palpable. I didn't know what was happening among the adults, but the children could sense it. You can tell. You, you can bet. tell. You can tell. It's and wild. so just living in that environment where there was so much fear that was just palpable and the adults were, you know, always skittish about who said what and who was being seen and who was being watched and who was coming and going. Mm -hmm. You could sense it. And then that would make your stomach ache. That oh, would yeah. Be Anxiety does mm -hmm. that. Ervil had 13 wives. What wife number was your mother? And explain how she became his plural wife. Wasn't she already married? Yes. My mother had been married before and was married when she met my father. And he convinced my mother and her husband to join the colony down in Mexico. So my mother traveled with her children to the colony and left her husband behind to sell the house and, you know, tie up the loose ends. Uh -huh. Well, by the time he got down there, my father had had a revelation that my mother was to be one of his wives. And so when her then current husband arrived, um, she, he no longer had a wife. And he came down there and, and, he and his came wife down was there taken his, by Ervil. His wife was already taken by Ervil. So my mother became Ervil's spiritual wife. And, and how did he react to that? The, the, well, I didn't know him, and so I, I, can, I only that. know based on what I've read. And my father gave him other wives. To and make up for it, to pay him guess, for it, or whatever. I guess. My and goodness. And that's what Joseph Smith did, though. He took other men's wives like that. He says, God told me that, mm -hmm. I, that you, I'm supposed to live polygamy, and you're supposed to be my wife. God's given me to you, he, him, so, you to me. Yes. So, and that's what Erwell did? Yes, that's what he did. And what number wife was she? She was number four. Number four of 13. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, they talk, you, you talk about building God's kingdom. It's a <laughs> phrase that you use in the book. It's a phrase I heard all the while I was growing mm -hmm. up. What does building God's kingdom mean in the LeBaron group? <laughs> I guess having more wives and lots of children and growing the numbers. <laughs> growing the numbers. And, and converting more people and... and having the, more people being involved in our group. Or was the focus on money, uh, building the, the kingdom of God based on economics part of it? Well, I know from reading other books about my father that he was very interested in that topic. <laughs> and But I wasn't aware again, I was a young child. Uh -huh. So um, that part was didn't impact my life as much, being young, one of the younger kids. So, mm -hmm. but I do yeah. know that you know, they were proselytizing, and I actually did one, t on the handful of times I got to spend with my father, I got to go on one of his um, mm -hmm. long-winded, you know, preaching sessions <laughs> and listen to that and experience it's, that. It's interesting. Kingston's did not <laughs> proselytize. Their, their building the kingdom was economic and wives and kids, of course, but... We could have used more economics. Uh, yeah, from the, from everything I've read and heard about that, I think you could have, but it didn't make our life any easier at all because right. we were still in poverty, so we couldn't yeah. spend any money, so mm -hmm. they could get it all. 
Uh, and again, there's so many parallels with all children growing, uh, growing up in polygamy groups, even though they're in different groups, mm -hmm. the parallels are there. Uh, you talked about the FBI, and you were taught what to say in case yes. the FBI came and mm -hmm. raided. We were taught the same thing, how to lie to the police authority. Right. Of course, we weren't afraid of an FBI raid like you were for that mm -hmm. reason, but for because we lived polygamy, because right. we were a polygamy group. Explain exactly what you were taught about being God's persecuted people, mm -hmm. what to say when the FBI came, what were you supposed to say, what kind of coaching did you get? Well, because uh, my father was wanted by the law and other group members that were part of his group that had committed some of the atrocities that he ordered, they were wanted. So we were taught that we were God's chosen people that were being persecuted because we were God's chosen people and not that people had committed crimes right? and right. they were wanted by the law. You you uh, said it became easier, lying became easier as you grew older. Oh yeah, you became more practiced at it. And you know, as outsiders would ask you questions, even just a teacher or a neighbor or anyone that lived, that was observing your family, mm -hmm. you know, they would say, well, who's your father? And yeah. you know, oh, I don't know. And we were taught to say, I don't know to everything. To everything. So when you're really young, they can't really coach you on answers and Lots details of lots of details, so they can't come up with a story and help expect you to remember it. But right. they can teach you to say, "I don't know." Right, exactly. And so we were coached and taught and rehearsed. Do you rehearsed. think that added to your fear to rehearse something that wasn't true? It wasn't necessarily because it wasn't true. It was just that it was a impending possibility mm -hmm. that we were going to be questioned and we couldn't say anything. <laughs> And, so. and the fear that if you said anything that got anybody in trouble, oh, yeah. it would be all your fault. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. There was, a, there was a responsibility put on us children uh -huh. that should never, no child should right. have to bear. I agree. I agree. It, it, was, it was really terrible. I remember <laughs> we were told not what not to say. If we said anything wrong, they would come and take us kids away. So oh. we had to be very careful. But you know what? I begged. I begged in my mind that somebody would come and take us away. I wanted to be taken away oh. from the family. Wow. Never happened because nobody ever came and got us. But. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so you move frequently and sometimes unexpectedly. Mm -hmm. And, and um, you said was kind of a... a a way of life that you didn't understand, but you understand now. Explain mm -hmm. why you move so frequently and, and how that affected you. We were wanted by the law. <clears throat> Did you know you were wanted by the law at that time? We knew we were being, we were being persecuted <clears throat> for and being God's chosen people. That's what we understood and that's okay. what we were told. Mm -hmm. So we would move very often and in the middle of the night usually and almost always leaving behind our possessions. and. You know, mm -hmm. my dad would have a revelation, uh, <clears throat> and then everybody would just jump and move, and mm. off we'd go. Wow. And it was in the middle of the night. It was under frightening circumstances, usually. And again, Shh, more fear. Quiet. More yeah, of the fear. Quiet. Don't ask any questions. Come on, let's go. So was this in the on. U.S. or Mexico or both? You both. were traveling all through? Into and out of Mexico, all over the United States, mostly California, Colorado and Texas mm -hmm. for me. For you. But other siblings also, Arizona was involved in that. Mm -hmm. But all over Mexico as well. Many people, especially children raised in polygamy groups, don't know who their real father is. Mm. 
Did you know that Ervil was your dad, that that man was your father, and did you see him often? And when you did, how did you identify with him in a positive or negative way while you were a child? We were taught to revere him and that he was, you know, God's prophet and God's mouthpiece on earth. So we had a, 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 a sincere reverence for him. And I didn't know what he looked like. <laughs> um, there were so few times where he was actually in the same home mm -hmm. as I was. And there's only twice that I remember talking to him. And did you know he was your father? Yes, I was taught that's who my father was. However, we were taught if we were asked what his name, you know, to refer to him as Tio, which is uncle in Spanish. Oh. So we were taught to refer to him as that, our, that he was our uncle. Okay. Okay. It's funny how the polygamy groups, how, how the little thread of sameness goes through because our, that's what we were taught to. Mm -hmm. um, and the first wife was my aunt. Right. She really wasn't, but that's right. what we would call mm -hmm. them. As, as, and, and my half brothers mm -hmm. and sisters mm -hmm. were my cousins. Yes. <laughs> mm -hmm. Isn't it funny how you have to raise Very similar. <laughs> in that? So when you did, when you were around him, did you have fear or reverence a negative or positive? Did you have any, any experiences, close personal experiences with him at all? That the, the two times that I was in the same room as him and, and actually got to speak with him were actually positive. Well, one of them was more positive than the other. I, I talk about those in the book uh -huh. and go into detail about right. what those experiences were like for me. Um, the first one where he um, woke me up and asked me to make him coffee. Mm -hmm. That was a very positive experience for me, even though I'm serving him. Right, right. At, but you were useful to your father mm -hmm. in that. It felt, it felt good to be useful and, you know, to make myself, you know, yeah. helpful. Yeah. So yeah. I was proud of the fact that I figured out how to make coffee for him, even though I had never made coffee before. <laughs> he asked me if I knew how to make coffee, and I told him I did. Only because I had observed others making coffee and I figured I could figure it out. Okay, well you must have done a good job because he drank it. Yeah, and he woke me up several more times asking me to refill his cup, so I figured I'd do a pretty good, decent job. So you were only with him twice that you can remember? Only that, twice where I had interactions with him. had interactions And with there was him. probably a handful of times where he was in the same home and that I was aware of it. He came and went in the night mm -hmm. because he was wanted. Right. And most of the other people came and went, and our homes were very, um, a mix, a, a chaotic mix. Yes, I, so I get that. when you went to bed <laughs> at night, you weren't sure who was going to still be there in the morning mm -hmm. and who will have arrived in the middle of the night. Wow. So you would wake up to new faces. Sometimes people... No boredom there, huh? Sometimes people we didn't even know. <laughs> Ervil had promised... Raphael, that he could have you as a plural wife. Mm -hmm. Who was Raphael, and how old were you when you discovered that you'd been promised to him, and how did that make you feel? It was a very confusing time. I was nine years old, living in Mexico, wow. without my either of my parents, not my dad or my mom, and that was a very, um, it was a sad time for me, be mm -hmm. being separated from my mom yes. for that extended period of time. Yes. And he was a recent convert, so he still only had one wife, and he had two small children, so they were a young couple. And, and you were nine, and I your dad nine. promised you to him. And Was that a promise for him to convert, or was that just... No, he would already, he had already converted. Yeah. And, but the funny part was that he had promised me to other men as well. It wasn't like he was so he just making a promise to one man. It was just whoever 
would be in favor with him when I was of marriageable age would be the one. And so... How'd that make you feel? It was just... When you were old enough to understand the, the, the impact of all at that. At nine, it was really confusing sure. to have old grown men approaching you and making inappropriate comments and inappropriate touching. Sure. Um, mm -hmm. You know, wanting to kind of woo you and and trying to woo a nine-year-old girl. And they already thought, well, she's mine, so... Yeah, you know, one, day you'll, can... one day you'll be my wife. Yeah. What do you think about that? And, you know, just inappropriateness between a grown male uh -huh. and a nine-year-old girl. Well, so were you uncomfortable around him? Did, did you have any any say about whether you could even be around him or not? Was no. you, were you around him very much? Well, I lived in their home. Oh, so, okay. so it was not easy to not be in that situation. Right. But after some things happened that were frightening to me, I learned to avoid being left alone and to ask to go with the wife, mm -hmm. you know, when she would do errands or something. To keep yourself safe. To keep myself, you know, situation. And and I didn't even know what I was really keeping myself away from. I just did, knew I didn't want to be with him alone. Looking back at it now, and and I'm, we we all do this, where we we know that the men do promise the girls mm -hmm. to other men, and sometimes they make deals. Yeah. I know in the Kingston group they've made deals. If you do this and this, I'll give you so and so, mm -hmm. my daughter, for your wife. What do, and they do it just arbitrarily or for their own benefit, just like right. your father put, mm -hmm. promised you to several men. Looking back at it now, express your thoughts on that kind of attitude that men have on, for, on women, well, about women. Women were commodities, yeah, and especially the young girls. Young girls especially were just commodities to be bought and sold or to be earned mm -hmm. <laughs> and then, you know, and then disposed of. And so your value, oh, yeah. in one of those groups, your value is so, so small. Yeah, except that, you know, they did want to have the young wives. Yes. So for so in that regard you were wanted but not because of who you were. And not as an equal equal partner of oh, or of equal sure, value not that. at all. No. I never I never experienced being married in a plural marriage, uh -huh. but I observed plenty. Yes, and, and that's I've the same with me. I, I never got married either. But. And I've spoken with yeah. sisters and other family members who have lived it. Mm -hmm. and, and your mother was a plural wife, and my mm -hmm. mother was a plural wife. So we did see mm -hmm. a lot of that. And the, yeah. So I observed oh, well. plenty and, and then heard a lot more than that, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. I want to quote something that you wrote on page 43, and I'm going to, we'll, we'll put it up on the screen so our viewers can also read along with me. And can we just uh, show that what the page numbers might not match up perfectly with the finished book? Because oh. you were reading an advanced reader okay. copy. Okay, okay. Just so, just so that the reader might not be confused if they can't find it. Okay, it's around page 43. <laughs> anyway, you wrote, the women in our family were never allowed to make up their own minds. The girls had even less freedom. We were commodities. I was too young to understand sexually motivated overtures. Sadly, I couldn't get away from that place, and I had no dad or mom to protect me, which is basically what you just said. There were basically no human rights or women's mm -hmm. equality yeah. that you experienced in the LeBaron group. No. Has it gotten any better, or do you know? Well, the group that I was born and raised in has now disbanded. So there's no more people practicing or following or believing that Herbal was an actual prophet. Not that Herbal was, but they still have. They still. There's have a few that still believe in the practice of polygamy. Yeah, 
And yeah. so oh. um, they're part of diff a different group now and have become part of a different community. And in those communities, it's not violent. <laughs> so I'm grateful for that. <laughs> I remember when Irville was on the rampage and, and he had threatened to kill the leader of the Kingston group too and they put armed guards out in front of the buildings mm -hmm. and in front of the, when they had Sunday services and had people watching out for Irville right. coming to shoot him down. Mm -hmm. You were just a young girl when you found out that your father had ended up in prison because of the Rulin Allred murder and you said that after that time your mother and your sister wives were fearful for their own safety, which we've kind of covered already. What explanation were you given for your father's arrest and conviction? Did they tell you? No, I was not aware as a young child, and that's why on the book cover they show my eyes being uh, censored mm -hmm. with censor bars, um, because I did not know and I was not aware that anyone had died. So the censor bars are on your face, on your eyes, and on your mouth because mm -hmm. you, you, you couldn't know and you couldn't see and you couldn't speak. And right. You, you just... So I was at, uh, in my mid-teens after I'd actually gotten out uh -huh. when I found out what my father had been responsible for. So you didn't know it at the time mm -mm. at all that you were in there. You we just were... knew he was in prison and that was persecution. That was persecution mm -hmm. because we were God's chosen people. And, and you mentioned, I think we're going to talk about this in the next uh, part, but you do mention that um, you wondered why the persecution, if you're God's special people, right. why are she treated so badly? You know, right. and, and we had that same, mm -hmm. that, that same problem. We were God's special people mm -hmm. in the Kingston group. Nobody in the whole world, all the billions of people in the world, ever <laughs> even had a chance to go to heaven unless right. they became part of the Kingston group. Right. And I always wonder, well, why? Mm -hmm. uh, why, would, why would God have that kind of a plan? Well, I was taught that I was a celestial child because I was born of the prophet, Ervil LeBaron. And yet we was were he better treated than Joel? So we were treated so poorly. Yeah. My father believed he was, quote, the one mighty and strong mm -hmm. and not Joel. Mm. And that's why when Joel wouldn't um, kind of turn his power over to him, yeah. that's why he yeah. had him killed. Yeah. So um, you didn't know Joel then. You were too young. I was too young. You were too young to know him. But I'm sure there was a lot of talk. I'm sure you heard a lot about what happened. Well, I did not know about th that Joel had been, like I said, I did not know that people had died. Mm -hmm. We were we were shielded from all of that knowledge. Oh, okay. You didn't know any of that I did at not all. know that until people... Until after you were gone? Until after I had gone, gotten out. Okay. Well, we have to close on this one. We're going to do part two. So I want to thank you for the information here. You know, we uh, are talking with Anna LeBaron, and it's a great privilege to be able to do this. You know, being raised in this culture, we're all aware of the unwritten doctrine of lying for the Lord. And it was rampant with Joseph Smith's polygamy, and it's rampant to this very day in polygamy groups. But children should never be taught to tell lies, and they should never be allowed to think that it's okay with God to, for to lie for any reason. And too many Escapees from polygamy groups have been taught lies about God, about who he is and about his kingdom and how to get there. But we encourage those who leave a polygamous community to reject everything that is tainted with Mormonism and turn to the purity that is found only in Jesus as taught in the Bible. God brings people into his kingdom by grace alone, through faith alone, and the works of polygamy is a terrible scourge that has nothing to do with heaven or eternity. See you for part two with Anna LeBaron. Thank you. 
This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.